This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and this week our stories are all about troublesome thoughts and dealing with anxiety, because anxious feelings are something every human deals with from time to time. Or, if you're like our storytellers, maybe it's more than from time to time. Our first story is from Devin Kajas. Devin has been called a joyful bumblebee. They have had job titles including animal trainer, teenage mutant ninja turtle, educator, and currently serve as the dean of the academic incubator at Dallas College. Local Dallas Story Collider fans may recognize Devin as one of our producers and hosts of The Dallas Show. But Devin's also been storytelling in Dallas since 2016. Their story was recorded at Dallas Morning News in April this year. Their story is all about learning to accept help, and that accepting help doesn't mean you're a failure. Because if you didn't already know, life is hard, and we can all use a little help. Here's Devin. So I remember in second grade being in the level three reading circle talking about the borrowers when Miss Johnson, the school counselor, walked in and she grabbed me and she sat me down in the media center away from my friends and she said, Devin, I want to talk to you today about spiders. And I said, okay. She said, Devin, your mommy and daddy are really worried. They told me that a few weeks ago, during bedtime, you saw a spider crawling on your nightlight, and you got really scared. But then mommy and daddy took the spider outside and set it free. But every night since then, you've been waking up shouting, spider, spider, spider. Now, Devin, you know the spider hasn't come back, right? And I said, yet. <laughs> because what Miss Johnson didn't know was the minute that I saw that little eight-legged fuck crawling up my Little Mermaid nightlight, trademark TM, 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 a chant started in my head. Spider, spider, spider. And long after the spider was taken out, that chant continued. Spider, spider. I would be trying to pick out cupcakes for my best friend Allison's birthday. Spider, spider, spider. I would be looking at the little dangly flap of hair on the back of my crush's neck. Spider, spider, spider. I would be sitting trying to discuss the intricacies of the Borrower series in my level three reading circle, but spider, 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 spider. Now what Ms. Johnson correctly identified, which it took me thousands of dollars and hours of therapy to realize, 
is that I have something called generalized anxiety disorder. <laughs> and what that means is that any time my body perceives a threat, and let me be clear, everything is a threat. <laughs> everything is a code red bear chasing me threat. My body fills with cortisol, the stress hormone, and a chant starts in my head. And it's very loud, and it sounds like me, and it's very hard to function with it going. And the chant was kind of quiet when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, but it really came into its own right about high school time. And it would focus on things like tests. So if I had an academic test coming up in a couple of weeks, it would start quiet at first. Test, test, test. And I would study, I would stay up all hours of the night, miss tons of sleep studying so that I would get an A, but it would still keep going. Test, test, test. I would be holding hands with my boyfriend, but I couldn't feel it, just test, test, test. I couldn't memorize any lines for any of my plays during that week, because all I could hear was test, 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 test. My stomach would cramp and I would develop pit sweat from my armpits all the way down to my belt loop. And my eye would start to twitch and I would just kind of walk through the hallways, test, 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 until finally I passed the test. And then I got a moment of quiet. And then pregnancy. <laughs> pregnancy, pregnancy, Devin, your period is three hours late. This is it, Kajis. This is DEFCON, fuck. Pregnancy, pregnancy, pregnancy. Don't worry, I passed that test too. <laughs> And the thing was though, my anxiety tended to really focus on things that made me look like I had my stuff together. So because I had to stay up all hours of the night, I was getting straight A's, right? When I did have the attention for it, I could take on the most lines of anybody in my theater program. So I got into great college programs. I met a wonderful man who I'm now married to. I traveled the world. And the entire time, I had to learn how to cover up what was going on. So I, I picked up some tricks, in case you want them. Um, first things first, if you have pit stains, wearing a black turtleneck makes it really hard to see. And everybody will think that you're just kind of quirky and intellectual. <laughs> Eye twitch, put on glasses. People will think you're kind of funky and cool. If you have a lot of twitchy activity in your limbs, develop a big outsized personality <laughs> and nobody will notice that anything is wrong. <laughs> and I even managed to get it so that I kept my crying, screaming panic attacks to two hours on Sunday between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. and even then only in closets where nobody could see me. I had it made. I made it 29 years. 29 of them. And then about three years ago, a friend of mine recommended a new general practitioner, a new doctor. And I was like, all right, sure, yeah, I'll give her a try. So I showed up, I got into the office, I got naked. <laughs> I put on my medical gown, you know, the kind that has the butt hanging out the back. But I kept my shoes on because I'm classy. <laughs> and I hoisted myself up onto the bench with the paper layered up there. And I could feel my sweaty, nervous backs of my legs turning that paper into like a crunchy pulp underneath me. We were ready. <laughs> and so my doctor walks in and she says, hey Devin, I saw on your profile that you're an educator and I've got a medical student interning with me. And I thought that it'd be really good if he could take some practice doing the mental health intake survey. And I was like, I got this. I'm gonna win at being a patient. 
absolutely bring them in. <laughs> and so she steps out and in walks this tall, handsome, young man with these big, beautiful, dark eyes and a crisp white lab coat with the Texas A&M logo on it and his name embroidered, Pedro. <laughs> and he did not make eye contact with me. He would not look at me. And he sat down on a stool right about knee height and scooted himself to the computer where he started the intake questions. And he said, have you noticed that you have had a hard time sleeping or lost interest in activities recently? And I said, but I sleep either two or 12 hours a night, no say which, um, and I work 60 hours a week, so I don't really have time for hobbies. No laugh. <laughs> Typing. I'm like, okay, okay, tough audience, but I'll crack them, don't worry. <laughs> he says, have you noticed uh, that you develop uh, random twitching motions in your face or your hands, or you have a painful cramping in your stomach? And I was like, <laughs> Yes, as my eye is like closing, twitched, <laughs> looking at him. And he said, you have excessive sweating. And I didn't say anything. I just let him turn around and look at the stains developing from my armpits all the way down the length of the gown. Still no laugh. And then he says, uh, do you have racing thoughts or have a hard time controlling what you think? And I thought, dude, I have not controlled a single thought in my head since I came out of the womb. <laughs> And I said, but, but Pedro, I'm, I'm doing great. Listen, I know I have anxiety. I know I've been in therapy. I do the breathing exercises 70 times a day. It's fine. I'm crushing it, Pedro. I have a great life, a great marriage, a great career. I produce storytelling. I, I'm doing great. And he turns and looks at me and says, what would it feel like to do that without pain? Y'all, I made it 29 years. 29 years, 2 and 4 p.m., panic attacks, closet, me, alone. I don't know exactly what happened, but I do know that when I opened my eyes, someone was screaming, it was me. Uh, I was on my side, one tit has gone into the sleeve of my medical gown, <laughs> ass out the back, and I am just kicking and howling in the middle of a panic attack, and I feel this pressure on my foot, and I realize Pedro has scooted and is trying to comfortingly hold one sneaker, looking me in the face. <laughs> And I sat up and I got myself together and I said, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I don't usually do this. I've just, I've, I've had a really rough day. I've had, a rough, I've had a rough week. Okay, so like I've had like a rough couple years, maybe decades, but like I'm doing my best. I'm going to therapy. I know, I know what I've got going on, but I'm crushing it. Look at all these things that I've accomplished. I'm making it happen. And he said, how long have you been in pain? And I said, 29 years? And he said, I, I'd like to write you a prescription uh, for an SSRI, an antidepressant used to treat anxiety. It's called escitalopram. It's called Lexapro. And I was like, <laughs> maybe you didn't hear me. <laughs> Pedro, I'm crushing it. And like, there's nothing wrong with people who need mental health medication. Like, that's totally fine. I have lots of friends who need it. But like, when my friends who needed it got on it, they were like having a hard time with their careers or their friendships or they had just gotten divorced. And like, you know, I, they had looked at the point in their life while they, they were in sweatpants and just trying to make it work. And I'm sitting here half naked in a doctor's office crushing it. So it didn't really fit my image. And he said, you have done amazing things 
in 29 years. But I would really like to see what happens with what you can do when you're on this medicine. And I don't know if it was the panic attack or the nudity or the horniness. <laughs> but I said, okay. And he left and he came back with a piece of paper and as I grabbed it, my, my eyes were welling up with tears. And he said, two weeks, that's when you'll start to feel the effects, full effects in six to eight. And he hands me the paper and he walks out and then he turns back around and says, oh, by the way, this may make it hard for you to orgasm. Have a nice day. <laughs> so after I got that prescription filled, I sat in the parking lot of a Velvet Taco for 30 minutes, bawling, staring at this pill bottle, just looking at it, trying to get up the courage to swallow a single pill with a full bottle of Topo Chico. Um, and I decided, damn it, we're gonna do this. We're gonna give it a shot. And the minute I swallowed the pill, this chant started in my head. It said, sick, failure, sick. And it's actually, it doesn't quite work with the ambiance if I'm saying it. So if you guys don't mind, um, y'all over here gonna be sick. Can you say it? Sick, sick? Y'all gonna be failure. Oh, wow, failure's a lot louder. Okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> so when I point to you, Beautiful. So I started taking the pill, and it started kind of quiet, that chant that day. But then, over the next 13 days, it got louder. Until finally, on the 14th day, I woke up, and I heard this sound. This. And I feel this twitching on my chest. And I look, and my cat Walker is sleeping on my chest in a full-on like dream, just like va 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 va. I'd never seen anything like it before. And I woke my husband up. I said, "Nick, Nick, look, Walker's snoring. He's dreaming. Isn't it so beautiful?" And he said, "Devin, he always does that. You never noticed." And I got up, and my stomach grumbled. And I ate a piece of toast. <laughs> It was delicious. I drank coffee, which I usually only consume for chemical purposes. <laughs> Turns out that's real good too, y'all. <laughs> and then I went to take my pill that day, and it started again. I heard I heard sick, failure, sick, failure. And I said, not right now. And it stopped. Did y'all know that was possible? You can just choose to stop thinking something? Y'all been holding out on me? Some good shit? That's a really good deal. And uh, actually, if you don't mind, it is um, Lexapro o'clock right now, so I'd like to raise a toast really quickly. <laughs> Raise your drinks imagined and real. <laughs> to cat snoring, to doing things that are amazing in pain and without it, and to Pedro. <laughs> Great news, buddy. 
I can still orgasm. That was Devin. To learn more about them or hear their other Story Collider stories, visit our website, storyclatter.org. Being a storyteller on our stage is just one way to make Story Collider happen, but we know that can be intimidating and might not speak to you. So maybe becoming a Story Collider donor is more your speed. Story Collider donors play an increasingly important role in our ability to bring you this podcast. We're in this together. Story Collider is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery, curiosity, and the natural world. If you believe in the power these stories have and this mission, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storyclutter.org slash donate. The most popular level is $10 a month, but you can make your tax-deductible donation at storyclutter.org slash donate. But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports us. Misha here. If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you, Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company or your company is advancing a new novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and Incitro CEO Daphne Kohler. Don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them I sent you. Our next story is from Tammy Spence. Tammy is a neuroscientist and professional worrywart, earning a PhD in worry. For real. Known as the brain lady for bringing buckets of preserved human brains to elementary schools as part of a brain awareness campaign, she loves illuminating minds, one brain at a time. Her story was recorded at Verge Center for the Arts in Sacramento, California, at a show in partnership with Capital Storytelling in April 2023. Her story is about accepting that life isn't a textbook and doesn't always follow the rules. Something that we humans somehow always have a hard time dealing with. I'm an anxious person, always have been. And since I couldn't beat anxiety, I decided to try to understand it. I knew the answer had to be somewhere in the brain, so I enrolled in a PhD program in neuroscience and committed to spending most of my 20s in a laboratory experimenting. First on rodent brain slices containing the amygdala, which is a region linked to the generation of fear and anxiety, And then I worked my way up to experimenting on anxious college students. I was so ready for academia. I even supported the pervasive attitude of publish or perish, meaning that your success is measured entirely by the number of manuscripts that you publish each year. After all, this is kind of like the last and most crucial part of the scientific method. If you do great work, but no one knows about it, then what's the point? To encourage academic success, the PhD program 
required students to publish at least one lead author manuscript in order to graduate. So that became my primary goal. But halfway through my first semester, something in me shifted, and I felt this overpowering desire for a partner, a best friend, someone who would always be there for me. And I knew that I was finally ready for a dog. <laughs> so I bought a small house with a big backyard and drove to Carolina wine country to meet a free Border Collie German Shepherd puppy. I gently picked up this black and tan fluff ball and held him in the palm of my hands. And I brought him up to my eye level. And when our gazes met, I felt a wave of calmness wash over me. I loved him instantly, and I knew that he would be my baby. I named him Jabba Bear. <laughs> Jabba Bear had such an expressive face. Picture these distinguished tan eyebrows hovering above big, curious brown eyes, which he clearly inherited from me as his mom. <laughs> Tiny ears that never grew with the rest of his body, black lips curled upwards in a perpetual smile, and a large floppy tongue hanging out of a dry open mouth. As a teenager, he, as his undercoat came in, he shed so much, but his fur was soft, thick, and magnetic, and it would clump together to form Java Bear tumbleweeds that gently rolled across the floors of my hardwood, or the hardwood floors of my house. Java was great for my well-being. He encouraged me to be more active, begging for hikes in the forest, long walks, and short jogs. And as a neuroscientist in training, I understood the positive impact of exercise on mental health. But I attributed my newfound calmness entirely to Java Bear's happy-go-lucky attitude. He was wearing off on me. But my anxiety was not relieved for long. One day as I was scratching Jabba's head, I noticed a firm mass behind his right ear. I squeezed it and he didn't respond. So I panicked and called the vet because Jabba was clearly growing a third ear. <laughs> when I took him to the vet, she politely listened to my concerns and then asked if I wanted to watch as she treated Jabba's third ear. She then pulled out a razor and shaved it off. I was horrified as she laughed, saying, relax, this is only a patch of matted fur. I had never seen matted fur before. <laughs> but I breathed a sigh of relief and apologized for overreacting, offering an explanation like, oh, sorry, first time dog mom, in case that wasn't totally obvious. A few months later, I took Java for a jog, like usual. Near the end, we bumped into each other, which wasn't uncommon given our shared clumsiness. And I didn't think anything of it until the next morning when Jabba woke up with a limp. Over the course of the day, the limp did not subside, so naturally, I took him to the vet. They examined him and gave him a prescription for doggy Advil, and it worked. So we went on a road trip for the holidays. Once Jabba finished his medication, the limp returned. 
I massaged his muscles and traced the outline of his bones, trying to figure out where he was hurting. When I got to his back left foot, it felt sort of warm. I squeezed it, and he did not respond. I figured that was a good thing, considering what had happened with his third ear. So I waited until we were back in town before taking him to the vet. I dropped him off in the morning and went to the lab because I had to run an experiment. When I called to check in on Jabba halfway through the day, they asked me if I was sitting down. The vet proceeded to utter a bunch of technical terms about lesions in blood, and I temporarily lost my hearing, only to regain it for the concluding remarks. This is really surprising, given that Jabba is a mixed-breed puppy, and in all of my years of practicing medicine, I haven't seen this before. Miss Spence, what I'm trying to say is that cancer doesn't read textbooks. They ran a few more tests to confirm that Jabba Bear had developed osteosarcoma, or bone cancer, in a toe on his back left leg. Jabba Bear was barely two years old, and the cancer was so far away from the big joints where it typically grows. So we discussed his treatment options with true optimism. Bone cancer is aggressive, so the recommended course of action was limb amputation followed by chemotherapy. And the vet told me about a clinical trial that was about to launch at North Carolina State University, which is one of the best veterinary schools in the United States. A clinical trial is a type of research study where participants are broken into groups. A control group, which typically receives no treatment or a standard proven treatment, and an experimental group, which may receive an experimental treatment. At that time, I was actually gearing up to start my own clinical trial on anxious college students. So I jumped at the opportunity to enroll Jabba in the study. I felt that it was part of my duty, both as a dog mom and a scientist. Two days after Jabba's cancer diagnosis, his back leg was removed. One week later, he became the first patient enrolled in that study at NC State. And every three weeks, I drove two hours from Winston-Salem to Raleigh, North Carolina for Jabba's chemotherapy. And while he was receiving treatment, I set up shop in a cafe on campus and worked on my dissertation. Reading, writing, thinking, all about anxiety. And the more I read, the more worried I became. I even developed meta-worry, which is worrying about worry. That was a brutal time. Jabba had all the side effects of chemo, nausea, vomiting, and a lot of diarrhea, but he never stopped smiling. 50 weeks later, he successfully completed the trial. I remember asking the vet if this meant that he was cured. They told me that we would continue to monitor him for another year. And I counted the days until Jabba's second ampuversary and threw him a party to celebrate how far he'd come. Shortly after that celebration, Java Bear woke me up by jumping in bed with me. I remember tenderly stroking his face when I felt a lump on his upper right lip. It was warm, almost hot to touch. 
and I felt a knot develop in the pit of my stomach because I knew what this meant. I took him to the vet and they confirmed that his cancer had spread to his jaw. And at that moment, I accepted the inevitable, that my baby boy was dying and there was nothing else I could do to save him. I was not going to remove his face. The timing was awful. I was in the middle of the clinical trial of my own, which was the biggest and most important study of my PhD. And several participants had already dropped out of my study. And I was worried that if I didn't have enough people in my experimental condition, I wouldn't be able to publish my findings. My anxiety was at an all-time high. Felt like my research was a dumpster fire. I was losing my son and I felt helpless. I knew that Jabba was getting ready to cross the Rainbow Bridge, so I hugged him tight, ordered all of his favorite treats, and took him to a garden for a picnic. The next day he passed, and I gathered my composure to the best of my ability because I had to go into the lab and continue my research. I had a participant scheduled. We were nearing the end of the semester, and this is one of the last people to participate in my clinical trial. This participant was a young man, and he was critical to my study. And about three quarters of the way through the session, he asked to stop the experiment. And it is his right to do that. So I stopped, and I disconnected him from the equipment. And as I was letting him go, I asked why he stopped. I wanted to make sure he was okay. He shrugged his shoulders and said, oh no, I wanna to go to the beach. <laughs> I wanted to kill him. <laughs> I was so furious. It took every ounce of professionalism that I had to swallow my rage. And once he left, I fell to the floor and just screamed. Somehow, I finished that study and managed to squeeze out one lead author publication unrelated to the clinical trial to meet those PhD requirements. During my time in grad school, I learned a lot about research, commitment, and priorities. And most of what I learned came from my time as a dog mom to Java Bear. For this reason, I dedicated my dissertation to him. I haven't known of another person to dedicate their dissertation to a dog, but there was only one Java Bear. And several years after Java Bear passed away, the clinical trial that he participated in, it was published in a well-respected journal. So even if my big study wasn't published, I'm happy to know that Java's big study was. And his legacy will continue to live on, both in the hearts of people who had the pleasure of meeting and knowing him, and in the scientific community as veterinarians continue to learn about the cancer that doesn't read textbooks. Thank you. That was Tammy. If you'd like to learn more about her, you can visit our website, storyclutter.org. Our website is just one way to connect with Story Clutter, but there are so many other ways, and we hope you'll use all of them. 
You can always follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Head to storycollider.org to become a financial supporter. Or if you want to come to a recording session of one of our shows or want to start your own Story Collider show in your community, you can learn all about that on our website too. The Story Collider is very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Hoda Amam, Brian Kett, and Leslie Bernson. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and staff, including Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Leslie Bernson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week I'll be back with stories about those thoughts you think you shouldn't have but just can't help it. Like when someone shows you a baby and you can't help but think it's ugly, or when you hate something everyone else seems to love. Trust me, you won't want to miss it. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.